0: The media called them the beauty and the beast of competitive freediving. This power couple achieved depths deeper than any humans before them, all without any assistive equipment. But when passion turns to obsession, the results can be deadly. This week's episode is The Tragic Death of Audrey Mest, Part 1. Up in the night, your heart fills with dread. Probably a murderer who wants you dead. It could be a ghost, a demon, or worse. Perhaps you're the victim of a witch's curse. It's hopeless, you're doomed. You'd call a priest if you could. You'd rather just listen to who? Sinister Hood.
1: I'm gonna kill you. I don't ever want to be known as the beast to you my know, beauty in a sport.
0: Oh, yeah. The uh, amount of times a person is referred to in articles that's like, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, the beast. And then in their own autobiographies, like, listen, I'm a beast. I'm a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. I'm like, oh, no, that's not apologizing. <laughs> that's just embracing that attitude. It's not a, there wasn't a compliment to clarify. I think calling a
1: someone a beast in the sports world without being, the beauty and before it just Mm -hmm. means like you're in beast mode you're but when you look at Audrey Mest and then Papine, you think "Well, yeah I don't know if they were just talking about beast mode because she was beautiful he wasn't as much
0: no and he says it in his own book too he's like oh I have kind of a goofy grin and I'm you know he's a he's a taller guy and he shaved his head eventually and would wear glasses he hotened up I feel like as they met but his business partner who also wrote a book which i also read was like straight up goofy he compared him to capital g goofy from disney and i was like this shot's fire. first of all don't besmirch goofy's name okay <laughs> it's mean it was so mean and I was also like, they don't look anything alike <laughs> no i think his reference was to his teeth but i was like fuck man this god is all right well it was a pretty savage uh comment but his i think the beast a lot of the doctor dr jekyll and mr hyde references and the Beast references were less so physical, less so, oh my gosh, you're a beast out on the court. You're a beast out in the field. And more like, you are a monster. Stop yelling at people.
1: Yeah. And I never liked to have people's looks commented upon, mm-hmm. e- regardless of how big of an asshole they are. So it's just like, anytime time stuff like that is like, oh, well, she was a beautiful woman. Yes, but like, that their look shouldn't be the focus of their diving or what the story is about because there are many
0: more layers and that is very surface. It's extremely timely that you bring that up because there's some discussion in college sports right now. Have you heard this out of the University of Miami? Mm-mm. The twins, the, the Cavender twins, I believe, and it's they're basketball players they played for their college but they didn't really they weren't outstanding players they weren't like always on the court you know one of them averaged like four minutes a game of play time the other one was like maybe 15 and not that many points but they're one of the highest paid now collegiate athletes duos because they have this Instagram and they are or kinda of like, you know, bikini shots and a lot of beauty focus and there's some argument between oh, other female college,
1: basketball players. Female
0: basketball players, I probably should have clarified that. Beautiful blonde headed female basketball players and have now said, okay, we're not going to play anymore. We're going to take these image and likeness deals from these organizations. And some arguments have come from other athletes who say, well, you're not really getting deals because you're athletes. You're Mm. really getting deals off your looks. But others say, well, you know, you should be able to capitalize. People want to pay you money for that. Then you should be able to cash the checks just like anybody else. But it's interesting you bring that up. Like they're all like – she was Audrey Mess, yes, was beautiful, but she was an extremely strong and capable oh, yes. athlete too, yeah. And I think that's what she would have
1: wanted to be known for. Yeah. Before her 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 looks and I think uh Pepin was the same way. Like I yeah. think most athletes want to be known for their athletic Skills. abilities before what they look like.
0: Yeah, and he had a lot of self-deprecating humor about it and all that. That's that aside, his looks aside, it was his personality that his personality was the worst. Such shit.
1: Yes. And <laughs> uh, worse. that is why I don't understand how Audrey ended up with him. But yeah. when you're so obsessed and into a certain niche type of thing and you meet like the holy grail of that thing. Yeah. I think that like with any um like magnanimous uh leader and stuff, you just kind of get drawn in and you're captivated by. Like she wasn't in, it wasn't about looks for her. It was about his
0: ability and like what yeah. he could teach her and how he was kind of this mentor. And passionate about the sport and, mm-hmm. and I think less so about push, push, push to records. But like, I want to go down. Audrey wanted to go down and dive with the animals. You mm-hmm. know, they said she was the original mermaid that nothing swam away from her, that she could swim right up to a stingray, a dolphin, a shark. And it would just like put its head over for her to like run her hand along. And you see her just peaceful in the water. So, yeah, I think it's like, oh, I want to be able to dive as deep as possible so I can kind of be one with the ocean. I get that. I won't do it, but
1: I understand it. I get the allure. The type of diving we're going to talk about in this episode, It, I don't
0: get it. I mean, I I get it. I understand what it is, but it doesn't do anything for me at all. I think it's coming from that. When you go far enough, how much further can you go? And there's certain personalities that want to go as far, as yeah. far, as far as the human body can go. And that is people who are interested in no-limit free diving, Definitely want to go
1: as far as possible. Yeah, it's about pushing yourself and the boundaries for sure. And, and sometimes cool. it does not work out.
0: No, and uh, you can push yourself too far, and especially with something unforgiving like the ocean, mm-hmm. I think we're all well aware that yeah. you just can't fight physics. You can't fight no. physics. And Mother Nature, like
1: it. It's an equalizer. It doesn't matter who. I mean, it's just doing its thing. You can't get
0: mad at it. Like, we're going into its territory. It's just doing what it's always done. Right. You can't stop it. You just have to hope your safety team is as good as possible. And we'll talk about all of that mm-hmm. amongst these next two episodes. Yeah. We're breaking this up into two. Before that, if I you want to do- see I us wanna- two. Well, I needed to ask you first, Christy, before we get into this. Oh, no. Yeah. Everybody knows we're on tour. yada. Yada, yada. Bigger, important question. Are you wearing your Sinisterhood uniform right now?
1: (laughs) You know what? I actually have on our tour shirt. My shoes are
0: (laughs) over. They're in the same room as me. So kind of. But Tommy has his on. (laughs) I was referring to these awesome Croco Bell. I keep calling my Croco Bell slides. They're Liv Moss Taco Bell Croc slides. Because my love and our love for Crocs started this time last year mm-hmm. when we were in boston we were at, we realized we were at faneuil hall in boston we went to the croc store because we were just wandering around faneuil hall and i found the margaritaville crocs you did i didn't buy them mm-hmm. and then i regretted it but our friends in chicago then on stage encouraged me to go ahead and pull you know do it do the thing bottom on eBay on stage. And since then our collections have grown into so now we have got these limited edition because Tommy is fire status <laughs> on the Taco Bell app. So he was able to get <laughs> us early access. So they didn't he sell was. out. Uh, I was deathly ill
1: and asleep <laughs> the other day. And Tommy comes in to wake me up. And I was like, what running a fever. I've been up throwing up all night. He's like, "Um, I'm sorry do you want me to order you a pair of these Taco Bell slides? Because I got to know now. And I was like, yeah, size nine. And I just rolled over. But then last <laughs> night you were over and we're all in the same room. And I looked down. and I just died. I was like, we all have on these Taco Bell slides. And you said, yeah, they're our uniform. And I just got to say, Paris didn't want any. Didn't want any yeah. And we're a little sad
0: about it. I was like um, I think I need to write you up Paris now that you've joined the sinister head <laughs> team as our video producer um we're going to write you up because you're not in uniform or we which we make it yeah we make it like mandatory and he it's has to wear them <laughs> you have to wear them He would be like I'm going to just switch jobs and it's fine <laughs> so I don't need to be here okay. I have to say they are the comfiest pair of Crocs I own Squishier than regular Crocs. Mm-hmm. They're very squishy. And they say live Moss on the heel, They're which great. just makes you... When you put them on, it's inspirational. So join us back in Boston this July 19th for our... It's the croc anniversary in fact. <laughs> oh, it is. What <laughs> pair of Crocs will Heather buy on live faneuil on hall. stage i'll do it all right we'll go to faneuil hall beforehand we'll get some special stage crocs so. oh oh my <laughs> gosh what it. if they had like moon crocs oh my god we're gonna I get the die. most spaciest crocs well we're doing lots of moon stuff on this leg july 19th will be in boston july 20th will be in brooklyn i'll tell you it's gonna be out of this world. And then <laughs> July twenty second, we're going to Washington, DC, where they have the Air and Space Museum. They have Neil Armstrong's suit. You're about to find me up in that museum with my face against the glass with all this moon stuff because mm-hmm. I'm so obsessed with it. So go to sinisterhead.com slash live shows and you could be part of the Anniversary on this leg. I'm very excited to see what pair of crocs we get in
1: Boston. Because <laughs> be I have to say I was a naysayer a year ago around this time. And I tried <laughs> to you talk joy. you out of them. I'm glad that I did not listen to the people and that the Chicago crowd <laughs> won out because yes, where w- we wouldn't have these live moss crocs now if it weren't for that. Where would we be as a family? <laughs> right now is the question. <laughs> Heather saved my life last night. With okay, these well I didn't Live want to bring Moss it up.
0: Crocs. <laughs> I don't want to bring it up, but I was kind of a hero, you guys. Oh God. <laughs> We're on the back porch. Picture this. Christy's back porch. She has this egg chair from Lowe's that I love sitting in.
1: <laughs> it's very, it's uh, super cute. Also very comfy. I'm
0: in the egg chair. And then she's like, I don't want to say what I think I see. But I didn't know what you were looking at. We had seen our toad, which there's a toad in the backyard. John that Hopper we, is what we call, call him. <laughs> call him John Hopper the toad. John Hopper was fucking dereliction of duty last night because his big ass bug runs over. It was the biggest water
1: bug And I can't handle them. And I was I get
0: frozen with fear. And I was like, Heather, you have to kill it. You have to kill it. And you did. You got up and you you killed it. You crawled into a ball and I was like on it. And then I started stomping on it with my Crocs and I started yelling, die, Moss, motherfucker!" (laughs) And then I had to call Tommy because I couldn't walk with my messed up. Now they were like messy on the bottom. Uh-huh. So I called him through the window because he was playing video games inside. And was like, hey, <laughs> answer your phone. And then he answers. And I was like, hello, sir. I need some help, please. And I requested something to wipe my crock. And then I requested crime scene cleanup. Yeah. And he delivered on both. He did. He's Tommy. And
1: I appreciate that it takes a village to <laughs> they handled me because John Hopper. Was fucking around and didn't do his one job is to keep the bugs away from us, and he wasn't
0: doing it. I went off on him. I was like, are you can't. You're not a part of this family. We have a family <laughs> chore chart, and yours is eat bugs. And none of us else are supposed. We can't to eat do bugs. it. He it's no. the only job he has,
1: and the only Offensive. one he can have. And he was Thanks falling down on it, but maybe um, after he hears this on his tiny <laughs> little uh,
0: headphones, he's like, "Play." <laughs> I uh, especially I feel bad yelling at him because his cousin John Hopper wrote such a good song with Hook, which you John Hopper. The last time. That's what I'm saying. John Hopper. Oh, sorry. John Hopper's cousin, John P- Popper. Popper. He played. Yeah, that's yeah. going viral now. So we jammed to that. Mm-hmm. But what a night! What a night! What Live a night Moss. it was.
1: All that to say, you can save lives and your feet with a good yeah. pair of Live Moss Crocs. Taco Bell. <laughs> Live Moss Crocs. Why aren't you sponsoring us yet? <laughs> Well, in addition to our Live Moss Crocs, we also have to thank Lillian M. and Emily Simrel-Roberts. They submitted this topic on uh, the forum on SinisterHood.com. If you have a topic you want us to cover, you can also go there and um, submit one as well. And there's a very good chance we'll cover it. So thank you to both of you for suggesting this. Yes, please. Well, I'm Christy. I'm Heather. And let's get into it. Free diving is a form of underwater diving that requires the diver to rely on one big breath throughout the entire dive, rather than the use of a breathing apparatus like used in scuba diving. In ancient cultures, free diving was practiced to help gather food, resources, and to aid in military missions. After the birth of modern freediving in 1949, the practice began being used more for sport and competition. Synchronized swimming, underwater rugby, and fishing in its purest form are all examples of free diving activities.
0: Yeah, spearfishing looks difficult. It's, it's yeah, Yeah, anytime
1: they do it on Survivor, I'm always very impressed. And they are also very impressed with themselves. And I imagine you do feel a sense for some of like, you know, conquering the ocean. You know, it's like Poseidon.
0: It's just you against the sea. Oh, yeah, and it's like, what can I do with my body, brain, my brain and my body at the same time? It's like coordination, mm-hmm. bot- physicality that you have to control with your mind. It's amazing. Breath control, safety also of just,
1: you know, you spear a fish, all of a sudden yeah. there's blood in the water. Other stuff starts to come around too, you know? Yeah, take off. Mm-hmm. For divers looking for something even more extreme, there is also competitive apnea disciplines, such as no-limit free diving. Here, divers use a weighted sled to pull them underwater to extreme depths. Once they reach the ocean floor, a buoyancy control device helps them ascend. The entire event lasts a few minutes depending on the depth of the dive. It is considered the most equipment intensive of any type of freediving, is extremely dangerous, and should never be done alone. Divers must learn to equalize at depths as great as 500 feet and beyond, while descending at a speed of 16 feet, or 5 meters, per second. Current world record holders for no-limit freediving are Tanya Streeter with a dive of 524 feet, or 160 meters, and Herbert Nietzsche with an astonishing dive of 702
0: feet, or 214 meters so deep and you have to suck all this extra oxygen into your blood you pack extra oxygen into your lungs but then the problem is you pack too much you you can restrict your heart and you pass out but the idea of you're now not only are you doing something for a sport you're adapting your entire body i mean now your body knows okay when i'm doing these things it's going to trigger this dive reflex so i gotta (gasps) you see him go like (gasps) like the preparation process and they're
1: in the water while doing this already is is wild, yeah, just like and if you overpack, then they can pass out and black out even before the dive begins. Blacking out on the way up or after you surface is super common and mm-hmm. actually will result in like you, you don't get to count the dive if it happens cute. although with Tanya Streeter, they didn't have that rule beforehand if you black out before, and they still let her go, and then she got the world
0: record, so for sure, you know. A brief shout-out to Allison Elwood, who directed The 9 for 9 on this, if you want to watch that. And there's, it does cover a lot of Tanya Streeter's Free dive, and you see the physical and, like they said, equipment intense. That to do this properly, you got to have a lot of people Mm -hmm. with a lot of shit on their backs and on their heads and faces, and everybody's focused on the instrumentation and the technology. And it can all just one extra breath. She's like, "I went," (gasps) and she said that extra breath knocked her out right before she was going to do her world record attempt. And then it's just in this moment of like, "Well, can I go? Can I not go?" There's not a rule. And then, and the judge
1: said, "Yeah, go." And then you just go. But she said because you know she overpacked that she was really operating on like eighty percent of the normal breast she would have, yeah. and she still managed to do it, which is very impressive.
0: Yeah, she's in, when she said, you know, you ask yourself, is your mind going to be your weapon or your weakness? And I was like, because I thought, oh, God, if they say, just go. And all of a sudden, you're rocketing down. No scuba tank, nothing on you, knowing you only have 80% of what you need. I was watching it on 9 for 9. I was like, oh, I can't yes. breathe. It's, but you, It's
1: too intense for me.
0: Well, you just she just was like, no, you have to stay in that zone and, like, stay in that mindset. Because you can't go, I don't have enough air. Because <laughs> you'll start freaking out. Mm-hmm. So, dang. And it's I'm just you and... It. And that sled, it's if if you haven't
1: seen this, we'll have a bunch of links to different um, dives in the show notes. But I mean, you can go to YouTube and look at any of them. It's it's wild. I'd never really seen diving like this until we covered this. And you, they do it. They call it a sled, but yeah, I mean, it's like a a big heavy tube that they stand on, and it just With a t bar. Yeah, yeah, it's almost like a ride at Six Flags. It just plummets mm-hmm. you. Yeah. On this, like, cord that, you know, they've dropped to the bottom of the ocean, plummets you down. And then once you get down there, you have to pull this pin out to um, activate the buoyancy device to shoot you back up. Mm-hmm. There's a lot, though, that can go wrong during those very short minutes.
0: Oh, yeah. Especially if you get nitrogen narcosis, mm-hmm. which makes you feel drunk. Yeah. It's a
1: very intense form of diving that I think is... um done less for oh let me enjoy this beautiful dive in the in the scenery and more of how far can you test your body
0: then you go super far you make a world record you make a name for yourself and then you get endorsement deals you to be on teams you Mm -hmm. get to be spokesperson for things and so it can be a a great lucrative career especially if it's something you're already passionate about but it requires so much dotting of i's and crossing of t's there's so many little things that could go wrong Sinister Hood will be right back. One of the riskiest forms of freediving,
1: no-limit divers regularly encounter problems such as blacking out and cardiac arrest. It is because of this that dives should never be conducted alone. According to
0: freediveearth.com, the NLT diver is almost entirely reliant on their equipment and safety team since an ascent to the surface under their own power from the bottom is usually impossible.
1: Record attempt dives are a team effort with everyone
0: playing a critical role in the safety and success of the dive. And you don't really think about that because your descent is accelerated by a 90 kilogram weight above your head. So it weighs more than you and it sucks you down. But if you don't have that balloon inflated rocket ship, so you're essentially auto inflating a, a flotation device at the bottom that'll shoot you back up, swimming alone back up from that far down 524 feet, you'd run out of air. Yeah. Absolutely, yes. And along the way, there are divers
1: with scuba equipment placed at mm-hmm. certain uh, intervals along the way to assist if there is a problem. Yes, and normally in a in a safe, regulated dive, there are multiple divers along the way with
0: air and, and equipment to help. Oh, Tanya Streeter, she said, not, she had 16 safety divers, you know, placed a couple meters, 10 meters in between. And they had those regulators with the octopus where the, the person with the scuba could have it on their mouth. And they have the tri-mix of air so they could give it to her. She had to be careful what you breathe in down there. It can't be pure oxygen. But then each of them also traveled with a miniature flotation device, like a mini pony tank and a mini balloon. So if at any point the diver looks like they're going to lose it, the safety divers can clip it to their suit, pull the cord and shoot them back up because there's a ton of people waiting for them at the surface. Mm-hmm. So that having that, I think, is extremely key.
1: Yes. And I also was reading that even at some depths, they can't take the oxygen mm-hmm. because your lungs have constricted so much. I mean, down to the size of an orange so that small. you can't take a big breath or they'll explode.
0: Yeah, so you have, it really is all about getting up as fast as you mm-hmm. can, and hopefully there's somebody at the surface with, and then you see Tanya Streeters too, their crew had this, a doctor on board, this huge thing of medicinal, she's like, this is the intubation kit, here is the, the if you go into shock kit, I mean, it was everything, like a mini hospital, it was like twice the size of a cooler. You have to, you're out in the middle of the ocean,
1: I mean, if, if something goes wrong, and you don't have something on board, you're not going to get it in time. No, yeah, you have to have it right there. And all of that, when it's done under a proper organization, is very safe or certainly as safe as it can be. All the regulations are put into place to make it as safe as possible for the diver.
0: For those reasons, yeah.
1: The International Association for the Development of Apnea, or ADA, is the governing body for competitive apnea, including No Limit.
0: The official ADA website describes itself as, An international federation and the single largest organizer of international freediving competition, rules, and regulations. However, not everyone involved in no-limit (sighs) freediving is interested in
1: rules and regulations. Francisco Ferraris was born January 18, 1962 in Cuba, the only son of a mother who would go on to become a university professor and a father who was a judge. Both had fought in the Cuban Revolution, according to Sports Illustrated. Ferraris was born with malformed metatarsals that caused his feet to point inward. He struggled with speech in his early years and was teased mercilessly. His first word was only sounds. Pippin, A meaningless phrase he repeated so much, it became his nickname that stuck for the rest of his life. Pepin's father was abusive and left him and his mother at a young age. Pepin's mother worked long hours, so his uncle, a doctor, raised him. In addition to the malformed metatarsals, Pepin suffered from asthma and bad eyesight. Concerned for the boy's development, his uncle prescribed water therapy. It was there, in the ocean, that Pepin finally felt free from his disabilities. Soon, Pepin was out swimming other kids at school and was on his way to becoming one of the top junior swimmers in Cuba while training at his boarding school. As a teen, Pepin began spearfishing, swimming down into caves with no tank. Papine's love for swimming overtook all else. He was finally expelled from boarding school after refusing a weekend assignment to harvest sugar cane
0: when he had gone spearfishing instead and he said you know he was super bullied by kids but because he became such a great swimmer he said one time the kids were all making fun of him and he dove off a cliff and he kind of knew where there was a cave and he said i dove under so far down that i could pop up under a cave where i could breathe but he said they didn't know about that cave because they couldn't dive like that and it freaked them all out so you know if you're a kid that's You shift from being the bullied to being the badass that people are like, how did you? Oh, my gosh. Mm -hmm. How did you even go that far? You I'm sure you would be like, I'm going to do this more and more and more because my power is now in the water. You become a superhero
1: to yourself. And also, if you know, you have a disability that is makes it hard to walk and stuff and you feel like your body, you're just free from that in the
0: water. I would be in the water as much as possible oh yeah especially too if you're good at spearfishing and, and it was something that he loved to do and it can be competitive you can you know make mm-hmm. a deal out of that and if your school's like we have a weekend assignment like what teenagers going can be like nah i'm going to the beach
1: <laughs> every you don't want to go harvest cane sugar you would rather go swimming in the beach okay yeah <laughs> lost and out of school papine first enrolled in the military but was discharged Then he ran through a series of jobs until finally realizing he needed to pursue his one passion, deep diving. When a resort opened in 1987 in Cuba, Pepin had a chance to take his place on the international stage. Throngs of journalists were covering the opening, and Pepin was called to entertain with his amazing diving skills to celebrate the resort's grand opening. The curious reporters were astonished as Pepin dove down 220 feet with no equipment Word soon spread of his incredible abilities, and he began diving at competitions internationally in various freediving events, including ones with weights and fins, as well as the extreme sport of no-limits freediving. Pepin had one major advantage, his lungs. He could fill his lungs with 8.2 liters of air, almost twice as much as the lung capacity of an average person. He built up a legendary status in the sport of freediving, creating a kind of character of himself. Another freediver, Paul Kotick, explained to ESPN,
0: "Papine is a product of his own imagination." And Kotick also described it. He said it was almost like it wasn't real. He said it was basically he was a character of Papine in a movie called Papine, written and directed and starring Papine. He said it just all felt kind of staged. He said, "Yeah," and I felt like everything bad was probably not really being shown. It was like everything's great. And he said, you don't know what's left on the cutting room floor when people make themselves into a legend.
1: Yeah, something becomes very performative. It can come across as disingenuous and, like you said, staged. Pepin married twice, but neither relationship lasted, and he became known as a ladies' man. He had a daughter and several years later a son, who he co-parented from afar as he pursued his diving passion. He was traveling, building his incredible diving career, going deeper and further with each dive in a quest to break records. He was tapped to host a travel show, then later began producing docuseries and movies of his own, all centering on his one true love, the ocean. In 1993, Papine eventually defected to the United States, leaving Cuba behind. He continued to travel, breaking records, scoring sponsorships, and amassing wealth. Audrey Mest was born August 11, 1974, in Saint-Denis, 10 kilometers north of Paris, France. Her parents, Jean-Pierre and Anne-Marie, were both scuba divers. Her grandfather was a champion spear fisherman. Audrey seemed destined for a life in the water. On her website, she wrote that her parents,
0: Have been beside me all my life and have always supported all my decisions with love and tenderness.
1: When you grow up surrounded by scuba divers and, and spear fishermen, I imagine that you would feel very at home in the water and that that would be very
0: encouraged. Oh, yeah. Right away. You're like, I'm not, I'm not afraid of the ocean. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'll dive in right now.
1: She spent her childhood summers outside of Paris, diving with her grandfather in the south of France. She loved to dive and won her first gold medal in swimming at age two and a half. She began scuba diving at age 13 but by law wasn't eligible for certification until she was 16. In 1990, Audrey's family moved to Mexico City. The change of scenery came with a tragedy. A 16-year-old Audrey contracted typhoid fever that caused spinal malformation. The teenager was required to wear a plastic back brace constantly. It also affected her eye, causing double vision and making her left lid droop. Eventually, overcome with the harassment and pain, Audrey attempted suicide in a school bathroom. Audrey survived and continued pursuing her love of the water, the only place she was safe from her back brace and the pain of her spine. Once she turned 18, Audrey decided to make the sea her life's work. She began studying marine biology at La Paz University in Baja, California, Mexico. Audrey felt isolated being so far from her parents and surrounded by Spanish, a language she barely spoke or understood according to her official website. Diving kept her company, as did her studies. The topic of her thesis was the blood shift phenomenon and how the human body adapts to survive at extreme depths. The focus of her paper
0: was world champion freediver and lung experiment test subject, Pepin Ferraris. And he was so well-known. Even Tanya Streeter, who we were talking about earlier, said she said, I had heard of him, and that's why I started No Limit Freediving. And so he was just this legend because... Mm -hmm. Can we talk about an 8-liter lung capacity? That's,
1: that's wild. Four th-
0: that's four 2-liter bottles of Dr. Pepper. <laughs> so many <laughs> bottles of
1: Dr. That's, Pepper. How do you even fit all that in your chest? I that mean, is, that's
0: that's wild, yeah. Man, it's incredible. But, it, you know, what did I say earlier? It's like you your body physically changes by doing this sport and by – I'm sure it was par- partially, you know, it's what you're born with, but also just that hard of pushing yourself for that long. I'm sure he stretches them out. I think –
1: This is going to sound weird to make this comparison. The beginning of all of this and kind of like you said, like changing your body in a way and where he is this character and he almost becomes like this larger than life, like not even human anymore. Like he's, you know, I believe that along with that has to come a lot of hubris that you can conquer the ocean or you're capable of things that, The human body just isn't. Obviously, he is capable of, his body is capable of doing a lot of things. Others aren't. But for some reason, this makes me also think of like people that think they can raise chimpanzees and everything's going to turn out okay. Like you, you do it for a long time and everything's going okay. And you kind of forget that like, I'm out of, no pun intended, I'm out of my depth here. Like this isn't something that's like meant for me. And I think that's when it starts to get really dangerous.
0: No, I think you're right. It's, you know, Tiger King style or whatever. When you think, oh, I've done it so successfully. Let's use successful in quotes for, because as we'll see, you lose crew members sometimes whenever maybe certain things aren't taken care of here and there. And so But I think you think, oh, I've done it for so long and I can go further than anybody and I can control my lungs. I can control my blood. I can control my brain. I can control other people. I can control the world. I don't need anybody telling me what I'm doing. And so I think you start to see this spiral of, you may start out as like, you're so great. We think you're so great. And you're like, Oh my god, I am so great! You start believing your own bullshit, and then you go, "I'm so great. Nobody could ever stop me. I'll you'll never stop me, never." And I'm like, the one thing that'll stop all of us is nature and time, baby. It's uh, they're both coming for you. They just are. You can't you can't argue with it. It's uh-uh. I mean, it's just a thing. Yeah, just to think that. No, I'm I, but I'm gonna be the one that masters the ocean, and I'm gonna be the one. And it's like, oh, you, you and everybody else that does not come out of it, no. because you can't assume mm-hmm. that you're stronger than. Physics.
1: Yeah. There's just some things that like no amount of money, no amount of training is going to change. It's Mm -mm. just the way physics works. Yep.
0: Audrey wrote, I started my research on Pepin. I wanted to know everything about him. I gathered all the information available on articles, experiments, books, videos. He became my only conversation topic, my only preoccupation, my new obsession.
1: In a stroke of luck, Audrey noticed his face on a poster, offering a few hours of dive lessons and the opportunity to watch Pepin complete a training dive in February of 1996 in Cabo San Lucas, only a few hours away from where she was staying. She wrote,
0: Since he took my sleep away several times during the developing of my thesis, I couldn't resist the temptation of going to Cabo to meet him, even from afar. I took a bus that also carried chickens, egg cartons, and dogs. After four long hours... I arrived to Cabo. I mean, this is like your, your celebrity crush, the love of your life, like this, that person whose face is on your wall. is this like is Howie Z. This you are, find out Howie John Z, Z
1: <laughs> is doing a, a class in how to make the best boy band. <laughs>
0: it's like so mean because it's Howie D. Oh, <laughs> But it's like so he's like so not even the most loved Backstreet Boy that you're like, oh, I don't even know his last name. Is it is it Zephyr? Zebra?
1: Oh. zelnick
0: <laughs>
1: sir dog. Z- z- zippity <laughs> zippity zippity oh <laughs> right. howie g i'm sorry well
0: he's gonna it, be really hurt because he listens like i know though. he
1: does of course <laughs> i mean he's <laughs> obsessed with you um but you would have taken Honestly. a bus filled with chickens and eggs to go oh, see yes. him
0: 21 years old it could have been let me list off the type of people that would have had not the type of people the names of celebrities that would have had me showing up If you would have told me John Mayer was doing something like this and you could go meet him, Howie D. from the Backstreet Boys, John Cusack, Robert Downey Jr. I mean, like any number and and like when you you kind of have predetermined and I'm not absolutely not blaming Audrey because I 100 percent relate to this to getting really I get really fixated and obsessed with stuff and with people too. like I want to know everything about their life. I want to watch every movie this one person's in. That's why I've seen like some really obscure movies. If Leonardo DiCaprio in Fifth Grade was in a movie, I would watch it. I don't care if it was like a weird period drama. So I get that. I would just want to know every single thing about him. And for her, she was like, I could you mean I get to just go stand beside him and yeah. the poster's like, yeah, come on down. It's like I would have done Elvis. It. Yeah. Oh, mhm.
1: Sinister Hood will be right back. Audrey attended the class, and afterwards, she was invited to a gathering at a local restaurant with Papine, Pepin's girlfriend, and members of the dive team. When Pepin's girlfriend, who Audrey described as an eccentric American, got up to perform with the band, Audrey took her chance to sit with Pepin at the table. Sparks flew between the 21-year-old marine biology student and the 34-year-old world-record-breaking diver, even after Papine insulted Audrey's native homeland of France during their conversation. They went back to Audrey's hotel room together and had sex that night. The act caused Pepin's relationship to end bitterly
0: the next day. But from that day forth, Audrey and Pepin became inseparable. And she described it as she didn't even think she was going to go, you know, talk to him. She was at the complete opposite side of the table. One of the other divers... You know, I may or may not have been interested in her. Different team mates have been like, "Well, he took a shine to her. He had a crush on her. Or like he was just being friendly." And she was writing a thesis on it, and he was being nice. But again, you imagine you go to the class, you don't interact with him very much. But then you get to go to the after class dinner. That's so VIP. And then you and, go to the after class hotel room. Yes, and then that's what his girlfriend gets up, and she's like, "Okay, I'm gonna go ask him a question." And both of them talk about at the the very first conversation. Yeah, he's he's very like holding court because he's the He's the king, right? Oh, I
1: think he loves the attention. And she was beautiful. Oh, yeah. I can't imagine. Anybody's going to be like, oh, you're writing a paper on me all about how great I am. And you're extremely good looking and much younger than me. Please come take a seat next to me.
0: And he was like, and cause he's kind of known as a ladies man. So he's like, okay, this beautiful girl sits next to me. Okay. But he said, my jaw dropped because she starts going, okay, now when you oxygenate your blood because you do this blood shift, I noticed that with other people, this, but in your case, you do this. And he said, I was like, whoa, 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 you're talking about, he said, she knew the nitty gritty details of all of it. And his mind was blown. And he was like, tell me everything because he was telling, she was telling him his favorite subject, which was him.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And. To know that someone knows as much about, like, your passion as you do, that's a, a, something you immediately bond over and becomes very attractive. Oh, yeah. Audrey wrote in a letter that she went for a dive with Pepin the day after class in what she called his attempt to make up for the rude comments about France. In archival footage on ESPN's 9 for 9, Pepin said he fell in love with Audrey. About two days. After they met. The relationship may have been accelerated by tragedy. On the second day, during a training dive, Pepe, a safety diver who had worked with Pepin over the years, drowned. Audrey jumped to his aid during
0: the life-saving efforts, maintaining a composed calmness beyond her young age. And that's what the team said. She was really kind of there as a not really even a crew member of like, oh, hey, this is a student that wants to witness what's going on. You know, she's just shadowing us. And then when the shit goes down, the fact that she's like diving in, grabbing him, grab his head, you know, knew the protocol, the safety protocol from her, which from their perspective, I'm sure you're very completely impressed by her. From her perspective, you're just on this team. And the very first day you're diving with them, a person dies because of. Papine claims he got maybe bit by a scorpion and then it came into... But for the most part, he drowned. I mean, it's just on record that he drowned. So that is, I guess... Very traumatizing to witness. Uh, Super.
1: Yeah. But I imagine one of the reasons she knew what to do is because of all of her research and that allowed her to maintain her composure. Oh, yeah. Impressed by her performance and with an unexpected opening on the team, Papine asked Audrey to join officially. She
0: wrote on her site. During that time, we spent every moment together, so we got emotionally involved, and I moved to Miami with him that same year.
1: They worked together as Pepin was training another female diver in the sport. Audrey learned the techniques and became interested in freediving herself. At the same time, their romantic relationship intensified. Audrey wrote on her
0: site. It is very difficult to live with someone that experiences sensations unknown by the rest of the world. Sensations that can't be described or shared that's why in nineteen ninety seven I took the decision of setting my first record in free diving. After that, I've set three more records. I thought that if I could enter his underwater world, I could be closer to him, and I did.
1: I had never really thought about that that much like we talk about on our tour show of these astronauts that have gone to the moon like there's not a lot of people that can relate to that with you and same with this if if the person you're in a relationship with is into an extreme sport that is going to like alter your body and you are feeling and seeing things that most people don't there could be a disconnect like you can't
0: relate to that and if you want to get closer to them maybe that's why you get into it Yeah, it's an ultimate intimacy that he probably didn't have with anybody else he was ever with, any wife, any, you know, if he was a ladies man, you know, hooking up with people, girlfriends, if none of them are doing that same thing and undergoing that control and that meditation that requires, yeah, it definitely puts you on the same wavelength of somebody that's into what you're into.
1: The footage where they are doing dives together, I mean, yeah, you're in that water, you're Eye contact, you know, some of the dives they even did together, like one on one side of the sled and one on the other. And so that is like a very intimate thing to have done with someone and then they surface and you're like, oh, we survived. We did it. And then they embrace and, and kiss. So it's a flooding of adrenaline and emotions that, you know, a lot of relationships don't have.
0: That's a good point. Yeah. When they're doing that tandem free diving, it is a lot of like we're breathing at the same time and we have to say go at the same time. So that is like an intermixing of energy. And they seem in and, and those the early footage of them together. I mean, very into each other and very um, it's everything. each of them Super hot and heavy. Super yes. hot and heavy.
1: Audrey was accepted by her new crewmates and became fast friends with the entire team. In freediving, the safety scuba divers have to wait up to three hours before returning to the surface, while the freedivers are up and out in only a few minutes. Each time Audrey dove, she would wait for the safety divers on the boat so she could greet them when they resurfaced. According to Pepin, Audrey would even take them snacks as they waited in the water, or would dive down to deliver encouraging messages she had written on a slate that read, Steak and ice cream for dinner, Papine, meanwhile, admitted he hated waiting for the scuba divers and would
0: quickly take a skiff back to shore without them. And that does kind of set a certain tone on the team of like, we're all in this together versus I'm done here. I'll see y'all later. Bye. Yeah, thanks for saving
1: my life, but uh, I'm going to peace out while y'all have to, you know, because scuba divers, they have pressuring and they can't accelerate or ascend too fast or they'll get the bend. So, yeah, they're like, zip zip in and out and meanwhile it's like well i'll see you in four hours while i just stay underwater here thanks
0: for having my back uh sorry you have to just sit there and just go up like 10 feet at a time or you know a little bit by little bit and you're like i guess sometimes you see fish but like other than that you're just twiddling you're just yeah
1: chilling waiting i think it speaks very highly of her character that Mm -hmm. she waited for them and you know encouraged them and did things to let them know like hey we're all still here y'all we we're not alone because if you are down there like it's just blue yeah. everywhere you look you don't know what's coming out i mean feel very alone i i don't know i would feel terrified i people that do this might not but at the very least it's nice to know that someone's up there thinking about you and that you got steak and ice cream waiting for you
0: Right, and you're not like, oh, well, y'all are the workers that have to just watch Mm -hmm. me. I'm the star. I'm going to go. So Mm -hmm. you're right. It speaks to her character. And every single one of the people that are on this team that are interviewed in 9 for 9 or anything about her, like, speak about her like a family member. You can just tell that they adored her and they felt adored by her.
1: On August 18th, 1999, Pepin and Audrey got married. In her words,
0: Over a dock near the sea, of course.
1: As they chased records and success together, Pepin was also chasing someone else, a rival diver who was beating Papine's records any chance he could get. The last straw for Pepin was when his rival finally broke Papine's beloved world record.
0: And that's the thing with setting any kind of world record in any sport, is there's always somebody else that's like, I'll go one more. I could go one more meter. Mm-hmm. I could go one more. So then you and then you're like, well, shit, do I have it in me to go
1: two more now, you know, than I did my last time? And- that's, that's what I mean. Like, you're testing your body, and at some point, your lungs are like, I'm sorry, bro, I'm
0: out. hmm And you can't say, I can go one more. Pepin would go, I could go 10 more. Mm-hmm. And, it, and maybe you could have before, but you can't now.
1: mm His quest for success was hindered by something no athlete can escape, time. As Pepin aged, his body could no longer withstand the grueling pressure he was putting on it. He began battling one of a freediver's biggest enemies, shallow water blackouts. According to the Shallow Water Blackout Prevention Organization, this phenomenon is seen in physically fit swimmers, competitive swimmers, Navy SEALs, snorkelers, spear fishermen, or anyone who freedives. Pepin explained it himself in his autobiography. When he dove down, the concentration of oxygen was compressed as his lungs shrunk to the size of orange's. When Papine headed for the surface, the oxygen in his body became diffused as his lungs expanded. In this oxygen deprived state, his lungs would suck oxygen molecules from organs in the rest of his body, including his brain. This led to him emerging from one official dive unconscious in 1997, having been blacked out for over 45 seconds in the final stretch of the dive. Because he had not surfaced while conscious, under official rules, the dive didn't count for any world records. It continued happening, and he eventually blacked out for over a minute when emerging from a world record attempt in 1999. Papine was
0: furious. And that becomes a problem when the AIDA, which is the certification organization, says, hey, sorry, you passed out on your way up. And then maybe you just go, maybe I have my own organization. Yeah. And that's when Pepin created the International Association of Free Divers and just... Was like, well, according to my organization rules, I'm number one.
1: And you're like, what are your rules? And you're like, that there are none. (laughs) We have one rule and it's there are no rules.
0: The rule seems to be, yeah, 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 the same as Ada, except for unless it doesn't work for my dive, in which case then it doesn't matter. And so then I'm, yeah, yeah. yeah. So then you're, now you have like these odd competing, like, well, this person did it under Ada standards. And he's like, oh, that's not, it doesn't matter. I, I made my own. Unable to dive himself, Papine had begun training Audrey in No Limits
1: free diving, putting more effort and energy into her records. As Audrey's career took off, she became inundated with media attention and even secured a sponsorship deal of her own with the watch company Seiko. Papine admitted that he was jealous, documenting his inner thoughts as Audrey was fawned over by reporters and politicians in his autobiography.
0: Papine, you dumb bastard. What is wrong with you? You should be happy for her and for yourself. This is the woman you love. Get it together. He was aging
1: rapidly in a sport that required peak physical shape and seemed to be comparing himself to a much
0: younger, fitter woman. And Kim McCoy, who is the instrumentalist, like he goes on board and has all these the things that attach to the divers that attach to the sled that you measure everybody, measure heart rate, it's all the instrumentation. He basically described Audrey as going from being an extra on set to being the star talent. And that's Pippine says that too in his books, that he's like, I was used to these events that everybody swore me and wanted to talk to me. And this particular incident where he remembered this like inner thought that he had, he was like, V- viscerally angry because she was getting interviewed by reporters meanwhile i don't remember if it was the mayor or some other politician was like shaking her hand and hugging her and i think you have this feeling of like but what about me yeah but i'm i'm the king and all of a sudden you become
1: me. the uh the assistant to the, the star.
0: Yeah. And it's like, no, you're not really the one. Everybody gives a shit. Go, oh, yeah, you're here too, but you can see her kind of, I won't say fearfully, but they would go, you're the most amazing person. You're so amazing. And she would like, well, all but my husband, I learned it from my husband. I, I couldn't do it without him. And like would throw to him graciously every time. Hopefully it was through grace and not through. Well, if I don't mention him, I'm going to hear about it later. That's, yeah.
1: And, you know, I mean, she, Got into this. I mean, yes, she wrote her thesis on it and that's how she found out about it and everything. But she started actually free diving, no limits free diving, because she wanted to be closer to him. So now she's in a position where she's really done well at it and only in an attempt to get closer to the man she loved. And now she's being criticized and who knows what else by Pepine
0: behind closed doors because she's kind of surpassing him. Yeah, she's like, you're getting punished for the success. And one of the teammates said she would finish the record, come out of the water and look at him and say, I got, an arco- an- I got another record, are you happy now? Yeah. And would say, and the the teammates goes, you know, she kind of did the record stuff because he wanted to do it. Now, Pepine would say, oh, she was just as driven. She really, really wanted to do it. But a lot of the other, I mean, it's one of those where like his version versus like six other people that were on the boat with her all the time. I don't know. Yeah.
1: Pepin appeared to turn that jealousy into drive as he pushed Audrey further and further. This caused a strain on their marriage, according to Carlos Serra, Pepin's former business partner and a close friend of Audrey. At one point, the pressure from her husband became too much for Audrey. Pepin recalled her snapping, telling him, I don't give a damn about records. You're all about records. I just like to dive. He accused her of loving all the attention. She accused him of being jealous packed her bags, and left for several hours without speaking to him. Papine recalls they made up later that night and,
0: We never fought like that again.
1: Sinister Hood will be right back. Others in their inner circle had a different recollection of their relationship, with Carlos Serra specifically alleging that Audrey was exploring the possibility of divorce. In his book The Last Attempt, Sarah recalls Audrey yearning to become a dolphin so that she could be free of her husband, telling Sarah in October of
0: 2002. I want to escape from him. And that's the interesting thing on if you're you know, reading Pepin's book, he was like, oh, well, you know, we fought now and then. But on the nine for nine and then throughout Carlos Sarah, too, I appreciate his book because he was there. The thing about Pepin is the, the problem with Pepin, I'll say arguing with reality is that there's so much footage of those times because he was kind of wanting to like create his own reality show or create pitches for reality shows. So Carlos Serra had tons of footage Tons of photos. The best series of photos that's in the entire Carlos Sarah book is footage of Papine in the gym. And Carlos had been joking with Audrey. There was this outdoor gym when they um, are at one of their dive sites. And Carlos was talking, joking with Audrey. And Papine was pissed off and was like, basically, get away from her. Stop talking to her. Not really from like a jealous flirty, but I think just like he tried to isolate her a lot is what we're going to hear through people's firsthand accounts. And so Sarah said, okay. So I walk over. I'm like, all right, man, what do you want? And Papine's like, take my picture. Take my picture, uh, bench press, doing the bench press for the website. So they had this website they would promote all their dives on. And so Pepin lays back on the bench press thing and goes to bench press. And there's 20-pound weights or 25-pound weights on each side. And Carlos, Sarah's like, are you lifting weights like for my grandma? Like that's – you can lift <laughs> way more. What are you doing? And Pepin's like, oh, just crop it out. It doesn't matter. It just People just want to see me work out. So he's laid back. This is the best part about Carlos Sarah. The laid back, like uh, struggling. So Carlos takes two close-ups, and then he pulls the shutter back, and he t- or pulls the lens back and he takes a wide so Papine's like oh, with this tiny little bar and it's literally so embarrassing and he fucking put it in his book it's so nice. savage so savage but that's the deal is pepin's like oh well, we were great everything's great and then in nine for nine and Carlos sarah's book they're all like they fought all the time they're about to get a divorce she was miserable she didn't want to be there
1: as much as the crew and sarah and everybody were around them they're going to get a pretty good indication of how things go i mean They. This was their whole life, and you know, you to be on a small boat, you're going to see the inner workings of a relationship. And if somebody isn't happy, I mean, you pick up on that. She also talked to them; they were her friends. So, um, who knows what kind of information, you know, she divulges? But I definitely don't think they were as happy as. Papine alleged that they were
0: well and it's one thing if he thinks he was happy but I don't think a you can speak for Audrey and b you can refute the first person interaction that everybody had with them including and that's another there's a photo where Pepin looks like he's fixing to start talking and Audrey is leaned back with her hands behind her head kind of leaned back in a a chair in an outdoor eating area and she's staring off and looks miserable and has a bruise under her eye Mm -hmm. and Carlos said I snapped that shot and as I had pulled my camera out Pepin's like don't take that photo and he said I snapped it before he could stop me and so and that photo's in his book as well and so yeah.
1: it's also in the nine for nine and they say we don't know what that was from yeah. you know what i mean with diving and pressure there stuff like that can happen it could have been anything it could have also been that you know she was suffering abuse that physical
0: abuse that people weren't aware of or maybe some were you know And I think they are, I don't know about physical that I've read about, but definitely verbal. I mean, just saying without me, you'd be a lost pendeja being eaten alive Mm -hmm. by the world. Like Carlos said, you know, that's the type of stuff he would say. Or Audrey's like, oh, he's cheating on me. He cheats on me all the time. I'm stuck. I have to sit in a hotel lobby while he goes and cheats on me and I can't say anything. And even the talking about Carlos wrote that when he was asking Audrey, you know, that very first day, the very first time you dove with Pepin, and, you know, Pepe died, and she was like, oh, it was kind of evasive, and Carlos said, something in her evasiveness told me that she knew what really happened. Mm. And it's just, he stuff like subjugating her where making her serve him the food at the hotel buffet, because they'd go to these nice resorts, and the resort would, like, sponsor them by giving them rooms and food and stuff, but it's something as simple as, you're sitting at the hotel buffet, and he's like, go get my food for me.
1: Yeah, like, you're a servant. You're not equals, and he wanted her to know like without me you wouldn't be anybody
0: and that's what he would say and she even told carlos you know he makes me wake up in the middle of the night to get him a water and one night i told him not to and he shoved me out of bed and said i told you to get me a water and she said ever since then i just go and do it and controlling her behavior and movements you know they did a dive in uh near egypt and she really wanted to see the pyramids and it was just kind of this day excursion of like oh i'm I'm just gonna go with these people and papine's like no It'll distract you. You can't go. You can't go. So Very she controlling. See, like mm-hmm. the fucking pyramids. How often are you there? And to be like, well, he says I can't go because he's my coach. It's under the auspices of it's what's mm-hmm. good for you. I'm telling you what's good for you. Well,
1: and yes, when you kind of blur that line and that relationship of coach versus spouse or they become intertwined, if you're an emotionally manipulative person, you can use that to your advantage and, you know, put it under the guise of, well, as your coach, when it's like, no, this is as your controlling,
0: abusive husband. Well, and that's what Paul Streeter, which is Tanya Streeter's husband, is her coach. And he even says in an interview, I am. She's my wife first, and an athlete second. Mm-hmm. Like I respect her safety, her humanity first, and then I want to prop her up as an athlete. Not go go go. I don't really, you know, I do what I say. Stay in your room, and that's the other disturbing thing of this, you know, long stretches of training and saying you really can't leave the hotel room except to eat and to train. You don't need mm-hmm. to be going out with everybody.
1: Apine was determined that Audrey would break the world record for diving, which was then 160 meters, on Saturday, October 12, 2002. Just two weeks after the record was set by diver Tanya Streeter, Pepin assembled everyone in the Dominican Republic. Officials, judges, spectators, and crew were all ready for Audrey to complete her record-breaking dive of 171 meters, or 561 feet, the height of the Washington Monument, and over 10 meters longer than the record. In his book, Carlos Serra describes the day as cloudy with bad weather, which mirrored Audrey's mood. Carlos recalled Audrey's face reflecting a depressive state and a shaky state of mind. Sarah supposed that her mood was caused by her recent fighting and discussions of
0: divorce from Pepin. And that whole week, he was just pushing, pushing, pushing because Tanya Streeter had gotten huge sponsorship deals. And Carlos said, you know, why not us? We should do that, too. She's got to break this record. And so the whole team was on board with this record breaking thing until that week. And Pepin is behaving in a fashion that sets everybody to say things didn't seem right kim mccoy said ah things didn't look quite right everybody's nervous and they a pra- were rushed things didn't feel as safe as usual the absolute worst thing was on the second so 10 days before she did the record break they're doing a practice dive and there was something an issue with the cable and they're all like well maybe we should fix it or change it papine's like no go go and he's like shut up get in the water now rushes her she's crying as she's putting her fins on she's getting on to the sled which as free divers will tell you that is a moment of calm and peace in your mind he is screaming in her face as she is preparing to do a practice dive down to this record-breaking depth and he screams in her face you do as i say i am the only one in command do you want is that clear and she's crying as she's doing her there's photos photographic evidence of this she is crying as she's trying to like (gasps) and imagine how your breath is already out of control Mm -hmm. when you're crying and holding the sled and then it drops you and he's meanwhile he's trying to kiss her while she's crying like idiot you just screamed in her face and made her cry and then she goes down what just as everybody suspected they're like hey that line's not right on this practice dive she might crush her head because if you rock it up with that bag and the line takes you under the boat you will smash Mm -hmm. your skull under the boat it's fine it's fine it's fine we're going we're going well, when they're going, thank God at the last minute, one of the safety divers sees it happening, grabs the co- cable, pulls her just far enough. She still hit her head on the hole, but it was luckily far enough away that it didn't. It wasn't a direct impact. It didn't but it kill was kinda, her. No, but it's like that rushing, like, shut up. I'm doing it. I'm in charge. Get out of the way. That is not the ideal mood. And to clarify, and this is firsthand accounts from... Carlos Sarah, Pepin, in his autobiography says, you know, everybody was up. Our emotions were up. We were all excited. It was a dive. We're just excited. But it's interesting to see how everybody's different interpretations in the moment that he may think he's being a coach and coaching her, but we we don't have her version of it. The From the external perspective of the team, they're like, it, the photographs also are pretty upsetting just to see somebody looking that way right before they dive. Of course, you can't yeah. know what's going on in their mind.
1: I would never want to dive down there, but specifically after I'd just been yelled at and was also crying and couldn't catch my breath because as you're being plummeted to the bottom of the ocean, what's going through your head? Everything that was just yelled at you or how to control your breath, like whatever thoughts they think to, you know, keep themselves calm
0: and have a successful dive. And like you said, we're not, I mean, I'm not a free diving coach and it may be that you know, Propine's version of it is that he's a good coach and he was trying to push her to the limit and help her achieve that greatness. And it's just, you know, two different views on the same behavior. Mm -hmm. And the footage of her on the day of her last
1: dive, 100 percent, she looks very despondent, depressed. And, you know, we don't have the luxury of asking her what was going on, but she does not look like she wants to be be there. And maybe it's, um, you know, there was other stuff going on, but she looks very, uh, like, just distant. He seems erratic. None of them seem calm. The weather was really bad. Like, they almost called it just for safety reasons because of that. And they're like, no, we're going to wait it out. I mean, he, by all accounts, seemed like he was putting the fact that he wanted to get the world record above anything else. Above safety, above his concern for her though the weather anything it was like no we're gonna get this world record back
0: yeah you certainly can infer that especially if the weather is bad and everyone's like should we and it's like forge ahead we gotta do it
1: terrifying in his own book papine corroborates the bad weather explaining that the crew was
0: glum when he met them on the beach to load up the catamaran writing we talked about postponing the dive, but I had already decided against it, so we went off to load the catamaran. On a prior dive, the pin to the sled didn't disengage how it was supposed to,
1: so when Papine saw the same crew member working on the sled that day, he shooed them away to do it himself. He wrote, I carefully examined the lift bag
0: and found no rips or
1: tears. As for talks of divorce, Pepin refutes the allegations and claims that the two were happier than ever. Crew members got into the water as Audrey took herself further into the mental zone needed to complete such a dive. Papine checked in with Audrey, saying his final words to her. All good? She did not answer, only half smiled and continued her breathing exercises to prepare. Once Peppine entered the water, he once again tested the sled in its airbag, Audrey's ride back up to the surface. He wrote in his autobiography that he remembers the day
0: clearly, saying, I'm in the water now. I'm reaching for the yellow pony tank under the lift bag. I give the valve a twist. I hear that telltale hiss and feel a puff of air against my hand and listen to the crinkling of the lift bag. I see myself, almost in close up, screwing the valve shut, nice and tight. Down below, only two safety divers were waiting for Audrey.
1: Wiki, who had been diving with Papine for years, was at 80 meters. Pascal, another longtime crew member, was down at the very bottom, 172 meters. Previous world record setting dive by Tanya Streeter was completed with 16 safety divers, including two at 80 meters, two sets of two set up between 80 and 160, then one final pair down at the very bottom. For Audrey's dive, there were only two Wiki and Pascal.
0: They had lost another member of the crew who would have been diving at around 130 meters. Yes, he had he had died in a cave diving incident shortly yeah. before this too, and which is sad, especially because you get used to you know rolling with the same crew and mm-hmm. you know everybody kind of knows everybody. But the uh, it's like they said on the documentary, it's not cheap to get a diver like that, and I, I think the the choice was just we don't have anybody, we can't afford to put anybody down there.
1: So sixteen versus two.
0: Yes, and 16, again, uh, the explanation is all 16 of them would have extra pony tanks and airbags and also air with regulators if she was at a spot that she would be able to take in oxygen Mm -hmm. for the Tanya Streeter dive. For Audrey, it was just two divers, one at 80, one at the bottom, and they did not have the extra pony tanks and lift bags with them. Sinister Hood will be right back. Pepin
1: was hopeful as Audrey in her yellow and black wetsuit sucked in her final breasts and grabbed the sled. She pulled the pin and headed down into the depths. The crew monitored the vibration of the cable to ensure she was headed down properly. At one minute and 42 seconds, she made it to the bottom. Footage from the day shows that when Audrey attempted to engage the pony tank to fill the lift bag, nothing happened. She was 561 feet under the ocean's surface, with no propulsion system, to send her back to the surface. Pascal swam up and tried to help her engage the mechanism to bring her to the surface, but he explained later,
0: Nothing happened.
1: Instead, he used his regulator to inflate her bag and help her head upward, albeit too slowly. He last saw her ascending away from him at 162 meters.
0: He couldn't follow her due to his depth and the compression on his lungs. That has got to be terrifying oh, when you note, you, see, you watch her, because Tanya Streeter explains, you get down, it's three things. You open the valve, pull the pin, and, you know, it's just one, two, three. Because you're so oxygen deprived, you can't be thinking about a s- lot of stuff, so you're on autopilot. Yes, and you have to just be used to it. One, two, three, one, two, three. So he sees her go one, two, three, and nothing moves. You're like, Imagine uh, how she felt. Oh, I'm sure. Oh, worse. I mean, you're thinking, okay, well, what but do I do first, now? I'm
1: first, maybe like, okay, don't panic. We've, you know, in the event this happens, we all know what to do. He comes over to help her. Still nothing.
0: Still nothing. And then even putting that little bit of regulator, you know, it's like a pool floaty. You can't really yeah. float on a pool floaty with a couple of breaths in it. So she goes up and he's just trying to ascend, you know, 10 meters at a time safely. So his lungs don't Gosh.
1: collapse, explode. I don't even know what happens to your body. Having to... Well, we've all learned over the past couple weeks what happens to your body under extreme pressure in the ocean, and it's not good. Not pretty. And being down there, trying not to panic, knowing that there's a situation that just is going on above you that you can't do anything about and you're just having to wait. Like, it's all just so distressing to think of. On the surface, the crew began to sweat, all except Papine. Audrey's dive should not take more than three minutes total. Still after four minutes, Pepin was not worried. He believed that if something had gone wrong, Audrey was safe down at the bottom with safety diver Pascal, taking in the trimix of helium, nitrogen, and oxygen from his regulators. The mission would be aborted, but in that moment, Pepin thought,
0: Everything's fine. She was down there with Pascal, breathing. No big deal. Tomorrow was another day. But Pepin couldn't take the weight. And decided to go
1: down himself. He called for his scuba gear, which had been preset. Carlos found this odd, as Papine did not ask for a scuba suit to be ready for him on any previous dives. In his book, Carlos wrote,
0: "Why ask for a scuba unit to be ready for him? That's something that got my attention before."
1: So his scuba suit had previously been laid out, like on you know the boat, just ready in case he needed to get into it. Mm-hmm. which was uncharacteristic and not done on previous dives which then bears the question of why this dive did yeah, he decide to do that ahead of time like you know uh, he he knew that he might need it it seemed
0: and the other crew member interviewed on ESPN said it took him 1 minute to put him on put it on he said it was like it was already on and he mm-hmm. dove in pascal
1: continued ascending risking his own life in an attempt to save his friend He found Audrey floating adrift at 124 meters and continued trying to bring her up. Papine dove down 90 meters and found Pascal pulling Audrey's body toward the surface, past an empty expanse where there should have been two additional safety divers. He saw that Audrey was not breathing from the regulator, but instead had pink foam emitting from her mouth. Papine knew that was a bad sign and grabbed Audrey from Pascal. He headed back up to the surface with his wife's limp body in his arms. When the couple emerged, the crew on the surface watched, stunned, as Pepin tried performing mouth-to-mouth resuscitation on his wife, who had been without air for eight minutes and 38 seconds. So what do we think?
0: It is a horrifying thing, like you said, to be down there when you think it's a one, two, three, and I'll be back up in a minute and a half, two minutes, and that pull of that pin and... Especially when you realize you just know. I mean, even at nitrogen narcosis, if you're kind of confused and you you can do the math in your head fairly quickly yeah, if you're yeah. at the bottom of that line and go, Pascal, buddy, I love you. Yeah. I mean, it makes me sad. Like, they all loved her so much.
1: Yeah. I, uh, I don't think she wanted to do this dive. And mm-hmm. I think knowing that there were only two people in that water that could help her, that's... Uh, knowing there were only two people in the water that can help her. And you're like, like you said, you do the math. Well, I'm not going to reach uh wiki for, you know, another mm-hmm. 180 meters or so. So what, what am I supposed to do? I, I, uh, you know, there's, this is speculation, but why would you set out your scuba suit? Why would you be the one insisting that you make sure that, the pony bag was filled and everything. No one else got to do a double check of that to see,
0: like, had it really been done. And that's it. And that's what the crew member said. I went over to try to touch it. And he was like, I've already done it. Get away. Uh, mm-hmm. You're good. Now, in his book, Pepin's like, I had seen them fuck that pinup earlier in the week and i was like not on my watch and paul streeter tanya streeter's husband said he always checks tanya's safety uh the pony tank and the the inflating bag because he's like i would never forgive myself if something yeah. happens so i always i i well, do and like check it says she's my wife first mm-hmm. i think peen thought of
1: her as she's a diver first that i'm trying to break records with and she's my
0: wife maybe second. It's an interesting difference in dynamic. You're right, because Papine was also this world champion diver versus Paul Streeter like supporting his wife and mm-hmm. interested in the sport and does it, but not out setting records to the extent that Pepin, not even close.
1: And he's not trying to uh, live vicariously through his wife either.
0: No, it seems more like Put, you know, he's in all the interviews with Paul Streeter talking about Tanya's just like a beaming, proud of her mm-hmm. and just like all about her. Why are you talking about me What a good looking couple, too. Oh my gosh, they're beautiful. Beauty and, and the beauty. <laughs> double beauty. But he's always just like, oh my gosh, it's all her. She's incredible. She's amazing. Mm-hmm. If you try to go like, oh, but Paul, she would, and she would say, I wouldn't be here without my husband. Mm-hmm. He's like, no, 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 honey. So you can, it's just a different dynamic, certainly. But yeah, it's to think that. You're the crew members that are watching this and going, Well, I really wanted to check that. Get away. I've checked mm-hmm. it already. It can and Carlos Serra has his own theory, and I think we have our own theories of what happened as well of why some things were kept out of people's hands. Has
1: Papine ever said, and I because I haven't found it, why he
0: didn't himself act as a third safety diver? He says in his book that he wanted to be on the surface and be able to support her on the surface. And it also, because he would have been down there if he would have gone, Wiki was at 80 meters, you know, say he was at 120, it would have taken him two, three hours to come back up. True. Yeah. I imagine you're like, I want to be up there to resuscitate her if I have to, but and m- more like that, celebrate
1: in the glory is what you're wanting. Yeah.
0: You're like, I want to greet her when she does it. It's a huge deal. It's because at this time too, it wasn't just the, women's world record it was anybody nobody in the whole world had gone that deep it has since been broken by uh herbert niche but at the time it was like this huge deal it was like his record had been broken and now she was going to break the breaker of the record so i think he wanted to be on the surface Mm -hmm. is when that's what he said too and the night him diving to his credit everybody that said diving 90 meters like that in like two seconds and then grabbing her and turning around and diving back is dangerous mm-hmm. it's physically dangerous for him to have done that too and wiki's like i'm just down there and i got kicked in the head i'm like what is happening yeah, he said like, he, <laughs> yeah.
1: and my god I, there's another reason i can't do any kind of deep water type of stuff you're just trying to do something you get kicked in the head you're like was this a shark is this another diver what's what's happening right now
0: Right. And you, and again, your whole thing is, well, I can't panic because I only have so much oxygen yes. here. Yeah. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, I just look down. I'm like, oh, that's Pepin. Oh, that's Audrey. And Wiki's the same. You know, you see that pink foam and you you, yeah. you look at the time. They all were on the same time. You go, it's been too long. Eight minutes. Way too long. Eight seconds. It's
1: also super sad that Pascal and Wiki have to wait underwater knowing up on the surface It can't be good, or wondering, like, is there could maybe they did save her, but you got to decompress. You won't know for hours what really happened,
0: right? You're just down there praying, you Mm -hmm. know, ascending little by little, going, God, I hope she's okay. I hope she's okay. Yeah.
1: Well, a tragedy, no matter how you look at it, but we will definitely in next week's get to um, Carlos Serra's theory as well as some other theories. There's been a recent Netflix um, drama based on this that has that's currently on Netflix, and uh, Papine did not like how he was portrayed in that, and is now suing Netflix.
0: So, yes, we'll talk about the lawsuit in part two. Mm-hmm. I just want to issue a quick warning that if you are going to watch the Netflix oh, film, my goodness, on a giant iPad on an airplane, there's a lot of boning in that movie. <laughs> just a lot of just sexy good looking fuck yeah but when you're on an airplane and they're like excuse me would you like some peanuts i'm like i did you say penis oh my god i already have some <laughs> I'm so sorry I there's was a like, lot of sex in it. <laughs> no joke i had i like had the ipad up and then i put it down on my tray table and was like skip 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 skip, skip, skip." skip, skip, skip. skip there was yeah. so much paris goes what are you watching and full confession i watched it on 2x speed and it was still a lot of skipping <laughs> god <laughs> it's like subtitled so to me like i was like oh i'm gonna have to read it i mean it it's also um dubbed over but i was like i'll probably end up reading the subtitle so it was faster for me to just read just it to read it it was a good movie though yeah no it's
1: gotten say- good reviews it's just uh you know some liberties have been taken as far as what the filmmaker thinks may have happened and peen did not like that
0: yeah peen's number one gripe would be yeah what happened at this time on this day so check that out if you want to catch up before part two Mm -hmm. if you like
1: our free episodes you'll love our patreon bonus content you can join for free to see what we're up to next or dive into over 500 hours of bonus content like our recent mini-sode on the murder of eric richens who was allegedly poisoned by his wife later went on to write a book on how to help your kids cope with grief. For recent patrons, thank you so much for
0: supporting the show and make sure you stick around after our sign-offs to hear your shout out. Head to Sinisterhood.com and click shop on the top banner to check out Sinisterhood merch like t-shirts, mugs, totes, and even clothes for your kiddos. And don't forget on Patreon, depending on what level you uh, subscribe at, you get a merch discount. You can also review the show, follow us on socials, and check out the episode
1: description for more fun, like topic-based playlists and links to live show tickets.
0: You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Sinisterhood Pod, where, if I may be so bold, you could see a video that Paris made of our beautiful, wonderful fans from the live show. People were so nice. So such- nice. The things people have said, I go,
1: are we running an MLM or a cult? Because people are like, I felt so empowered. They make me feel so good about myself. I'm like, these are such nice things to say. Seeing them all at once and just us on microphones on stage, like thought leaders, like talking. <laughs> I was like, this looks like we've got I was like, what is the full moon energy tour? You got to come and check it out for yourself.
0: <laughs> People are like, I feel so empowered. Meanwhile, the audio that Paris removed of us on stage is like, which one of these Apollo astronauts do you want to? <laughs> true, though. It's true, though. Yeah, but I'm just a proud wife. That's all. Um, also- <laughs> he's doing a great job. He's killing it on
1: the TikToks.
0: Oh, yeah. He's taking our talks in all the right ways. <laughs> You can also like us on Facebook at Sinisterhood. Head to our YouTube for full video interviews we do on our Freaky Friday, as well as you can listen to the episodes on there. Also check out our TikTok and go to Cameo where you can have us make the video for you. And we will make a custom video shout out. We could say happy birthday, congrats, happy anniversary, a pep talk, whatever you want. Cameo.com slash Sinisterhood. Christy, where are you at on the internet? I'm on Instagram at Christy and Wallace and Twitter and TikTok at Christy or GTFO. Heather? I'm on Twitter at NCK versus the world, and I'm on TikTok and Instagram at Heather versus the world. As always, the devil rules the airwaves. Keep it creepy. Hey, everybody! Thank you so much for supporting the show on Patreon. Here are your special Patreon shoutouts: Martin Schumann, Leandra Birch, Holly Shores, Sarah Sarton. Sierra Warner,
1: Jesse Duffy. Alicia Stodgell, Chandler, Levi, Caroline Ratliff, Everything Scary Podcast, Helene McVeigh, Lacey Rip, Carrie Patterson, Shay Cluding, Nicole Orman, Haley Collins, and Jacqueline Byrne. Thank you so much for supporting the show. We could not do this without you. We hope we pronounced all your names correctly. Stay safe, stay healthy, and keep it creepy.